0: To be honest with you, I'd rather be home right now with my wife. I'd rather be home with my kids and my six grandbabies. I'm Papa and I'm the jungle gym and they all love me. And (laughs) I have a real nice recliner at home here at the Ramada Inn. There's nothing nice to set in for me. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. I don't fit in this world. I'm passing through. I don't know if anybody else feels the same way, but I'm homesick for something that's yet to come. I'm a part of a kingdom that is now, but it's really not yet. We've just been given a taste. We've been given a glimpse. We've been given a deposit. We've been given a guarantee, but there is something better to come. Amen? Amen. I've got to share my testimony this morning. The Lord told me when he called me that every time I go some. Place for the first time that I should first start by sharing why I am the way I am, so that everyone else would have an opportunity not to judge until they understand. Does that make sense? So, God chose the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. So, I am playing the foolish one today. From 1 Corinthians 1.21. I don't want to stand before you this morning with man's wisdom or man's knowledge or persuasive words. I want to stand before you this morning with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 1 Corinthians 2.4. Now the things of the Spirit are only spiritually discerned. Carnal men don't understand them because carnal men are at war against the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14. If the Spirit of God has His way here today and all the invisible pylons and idols that we carried in with us and all of our fears and all of our personal agendas are knocked down so the river of God can flood the place today, that each person's heart can be filled with joy and peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15.13. If that happens, I will have been a minister of the gospel worthy of my call because I will have presented the Virginians a sacrifice acceptable to God. One who's been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 16. So I stand before you today with no apologies. I have nothing in my heart that would cause me to have shame or fear or trembling or trepidation. I stand before you today in the fullness of his blessing. I'm full. I'm not talking about full here. I'm talking about I'm full. Amen. Amen. Romans 15:29. So you all pray for me so that what I have becomes contagious and you get full too. Yeah. Out of the love that's in the Holy Spirit, Romans 15:30. So don't make a judgment yet. Wait until the Holy Spirit floods this room. So that everything in darkness will be brought to light and everybody's hearts and motives will be made clear when that happens each person in this room's praise will come from god and that's revival and that's what we want to happen first corinthians 4 5. Amen? amen there are calls in the bible to the body of christ or to the people of god there's a prophetic call that starts there in deuteronomy chapter 6 and It is the call that here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus added to it. This is a call, it's a prophetic call that starts in Deuteronomy and goes all the way through to Hosea. It's a call for the people of God not just to come to him at 911 crisis calls. In my church back at Olathe, when 911 hit and the towers fell, the Pentagon was bombed, the prayer meeting quadrupled on 9 11. We usually had 30 or 40 come to prayer. That night we had about 250. On 9 12, we were back to 40 or 50. God's call by the prophetic voice of his prophets is not. Come to me and see that I can provide your needs only. Not come to me and see that I can get you out of the trouble. Not come to me just when things are bad, but come to me on your own volition and love me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your all. It's all or nothing. If it's not your all, then you're just playing games. You're giving him lip service, but your heart's far from him. He's not interested in what you say he's interested in who you are amen Amen. a lot of people have to pray 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 god's not interested in the number of words you use when you pray he's interested in the heart that your prayers flow out of the prophetic call is to really trust god with your very being the first testament context would be john 3 16 god so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would faith would put their being on him will not perish but have everlasting life there's also a priestly call the levitical priesthood starting there in leviticus and nine times the call is you shall be holy as the lord your god is holy that's probably not real popular these days being holy means you're a reflection of god being holy is not i come to church and i know how to act churchy i come to church and i know how to talk churchy i come to church and i give my tithe and i give my hour and a half a week and i got my morality checklist checked off so that i can continue to be me that's not holy holiness is being a reflection of the image of god in this world Amen? Amen? The priestly call is that would all the sons and daughters of God would come to Christ not just so He can be your Savior. That's mentioned 34 times in the whole Bible that Jesus is the Savior. But He's mentioned over 7,000 times that He's the Lord. He wants to do more than forgive you today. He wants to do more than wipe the slate clean. He he wants to do more than give you eternal life. He wants to do more than let you pass from death to life. You see, when you believe in him as your savior, John 5, 24 says you pass from death to life. You have eternal life. Now you have something other than sins to bring to the Savior if you really want to make him the Lord before you come to him as a sinner you come to him with a heavy burden you come to him with guilt you come to him with fear you come to him with anxiety and worry and you say God I can't do this please forgive me my sins take my sins give me a clean pure heart start me over God I need a new start and when he wipes the slate clean you're justified you are regenerated. You're adopted in the family. And the Spirit of God bears witness with your heart, Romans 8.15. And you cry out, Abba, Father, I'm in the family. And if you are born again today, you know that spirit, don't you? Amen. Does anybody clap or say amen? You Do whatever you want to do. And I want to address this tie issue while it's still on my mind. I can't get over this tie issue. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing my best to be churchy. (laughs) And I was preaching a revival in Denver at a church of about 2,500 people. I had on a $1,500 suit and $700 shoes. And I have a tendency sometimes to be long-winded because I can't stop talking about the things I've seen and experienced. And about three-fourths of the way through my message, my feet were hurting so bad I couldn't hardly preach. (laughs) And the Lord interrupted my sermon, and he says, What are you doing? I said, What do you mean, what am I doing? He goes, You know what I mean. He always knows you know what he means. We try to act like, what do you mean? But he knows we know what he means. Why did you dress that way? Well, I wanted to impress J.K. and Talmage and all the leaders so they would accept me as one of them. Now, I didn't say this out loud because there was 2,500 people there but me and him were having a secondary conversation <laughs> while i was looking kind of stupid <laughs> he said i didn't call you to be one of them i called you to be you <laughs> <laughs> so i dressed up this morning This will be the only time that I will dress up for church, trying to make a good first impression. I still have some legalism in me. Very little. Amen? Amen. So I'm being obedient this morning. How about you? I was born in a church. Folks, We're powerful Christians. In fact, my daddy was a song evangelist for 35 years, and in 1968 was a Grammy Award guy and he had great, great anointing on him. One time my daddy had 12 years booked ahead solid revivals. Twelve years. When 1962, when I was two years old, my dad went to Nashville. They wanted to give him a record label. my uncle ernie his older brother took him down there and when he did his sound test in the booth the guy came running out and said who's with this guy and my uncle ernie says that's my little brother jimmy he goes well elvis can't carry his water and they offered my daddy in 1962 a six million dollar contract and he turned it down i'm mad at him for doing that He turned it down he said i have not been called to be an entertainer i've been called to be an evangelist Amen. my dad has four children me being one they are all married and all the children are in the church they all love the lord and what profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet lose his own soul i was born to christians my mom is the most person that reminds me of jesus of anybody in the world she's never said an unkind thing about anybody her whole life. I was an All-American basketball player in high school. I still have the scoring record at the High School and the Kansas and I always will because now it's a late the North and nobody can break my record. <laughs> my sophomore, junior, and senior year I was in the top 100 players in the country and every week I had all these scoring records and all this stuff going on. And I found this little girl named Debbie and uh, I'll tell you about her in a minute but her parents are Christians in fact my father-in-law started the Nazarene Church in Korea and now it's one of the strongest mission fields that the Nazarene Church has It has a university that he started that has over 10,000 students so I'm deep in the church I was on a summer mission trip when I was in eighth grade and my youth pastors were buying me tickets to send me home on a Greyhound bus four days early because I was causing so much trouble. I know it doesn't look that way, but I used to cause lots of trouble. And so I'm getting ready to get on the bus, and Mark and Chuck and the other two gentlemen were there, and I, as I put my foot on the bus, I turned around and I said, Do you guys mind if I get saved first? What are you gonna do? You're gonna go home, your dad's gonna use the belt? (laughs) I was not fearing God at this moment. I was fearing dad's belt, even though I was in eighth grade. You don't go home early from a mission trip, but I was. I had the privilege of going home four days early, but I got saved. I asked God to forgive me and change me, and He came in and He forgave me and He changed me, and they didn't send me home. And they got their money back for the ticket and I got to finish the trip and I got to go home with the rest of the teen group and my life was different and I shared and I testified and I witnessed and I read my Bible and I wanted to be a part of the things of God and that same summer I met Debbie now Debbie's the most beautiful thing And when I met her that summer about a month and a half into this relationship I fell in love with Debbie now we're almost 15 14 and a half. I remember what she had on, men. I bet you don't remember what your wife had on when you fell in love. She had on white painter pants.
1: <laughs>
0: That's back when white painter pants looked good on the one you love. Amen? She had on a paisley butterfly yellow little shirt blouse with a yellow sweater vest she had on nike tennis shoes when they first came out she had on chris everett lloyd socks if you remember what those were they had little tiny balls in the back she was the most beautiful person in the world i remember what she looked like i remember picking her up and setting her on her dad's galaxy 500 it was kind of a contrast it's The ugliest car and the most beautiful (laughs) girl and i fell in love with her and i knew i was going to marry her i knew i was going to marry debbie isn't that weird i don't know why i even tell that story with my testimony except the lord told me if i could remember the time and the place and what it looked like and what it smelled like and what it felt like when i fell in love with debbie surely if you really ever Fall in love with Jesus. You'll never forget that either. Amen? Amen? Amen. I'm talking about when He becomes your Lord. I'm talking about when He becomes your all. Surely you would remember that. Because when heaven and earth come together and He sets up His throne in you, I think that's an occasion you don't get over quite easily. Amen? things were great and i's relationship was great my relationship with christ was amazing and i kept hearing this call to this lordship this deeper walk this sanctifying work this baptism of the spirit this heart cleansing this this call to holiness this priestly call that fulfills the prophetic call to trust him with your all the priestly call practicality in the new covenant now in revelations 1 6 we are We are supposed to be kings and priests unto God. In 1 Peter 2, 9, we are a royal priesthood. We are called to be a holy nation. So I kept hearing this call to holiness, this call to consecration, this call to death. You see, the call to the new birth and the call to death are not parallel tracks. Well, in one instance, you're getting out of the death that you're born in, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and on, where because of God's wrath and because of our sinfulness, we're born in sin and we're dying in our sins until God gives us new life. Then he says, no greater love does anyone have unless he's willing to lay down his life for his friend. John 15 jesus said i no longer call you servants because servants don't know what the master's up to i now call you friends because friends share secrets with friends you didn't choose me i chose you so that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain then you could ask for anything and i'll give it to you this call to holiness It's a clear call. It's a precise call. In fact, in the Bible, there's 40 and change verses about the born-again experience. When you're justified, when you're regenerated, when you're adopted. There's about 40 verses in the whole Bible that talk about this experience. But in the Bible, the call to this sanctifying experience, this purifying, this cleansing experience, there's over 610 verses. It's 13 to 1. It's clear. So I'm going to ask you today: have you received that sanctifying work of the Spirit in your heart since you became a Christian? I walked with God for two and a half years, walked with Debbie, walked with God, and the danger in First Peter 2, 20. Is that if you don't go into the holy commandment you end up worse off than you were before you even got born again in fact Peter says it's kind of like this it's kind of like when a dog returns to the vomit or a pig goes back to the mud it's God forgives your sins so that you can stand before him unashamed and You can take his yoke upon you, and you can learn that he's gentle and easy. But when you realize there's things in you that still don't line up with him, when you realize kind of Romans 7, you want to follow him, but part of you keeps wanting to call the shots. And you have this double-minded deal going on, and you know there's got to be more, but you don't know how to get it, and you don't want to really trust him that you could really get it. So you just keep practicing John 3, 30 where you just want to become less and less so he can become greater and greater and you just keep doing that less and less. And Paul says it like this. there are people in this world in the church world that always keep learning. They are always learning, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth that sets them free. Paul had the testimony of what John the Baptist was striving for in Galatians 2:20 Paul says, "Now I found the solution. I've been crucified." with christ i no longer live the life i now live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who gave himself as a sacrifice for me later on in galatians 6 14 paul says i'm going to boast in only one thing that's the cross the power of the cross has the power of the gospel in it to not only separate me from the world and change the way that i am and the things that i do but also has the power to separate the world's stain and contamination from me to change what I am. Now if we don't allow the cross to do its whole work, as it says in Hebrews 4, the word of God is a representative of the cross of God where it is sharper than a two-edged sword, comes down through joints and marrows and souls and spirits, even to the dividing of Our thoughts and our motives. A lot of times we want him to come down and wipe the slate clean, but when we want to get real serious about what are we doing, what we do for. It's a little sharp, God. I don't want to be broken and contrite at that level. I know Psalms 51:17, if I'm broken and contrite that you won't despise my sacrifice. I understand, Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. you dwell in high and lofty places and also in those who have broken contrite hearts. But I don't want to be that broken because I don't want to give up all my rights. I can hold on to something. Remember, it's all or nothing. And so because I didn't answer that call to go on into holiness of heart and the purity of heart, I sinned sexually with Debbie. Now here's the problem with sin it creates shame so then when you come to church and you've got shame and guilt because of sin that you know you did against God's law then you have to lie to cover it up and you have to really start talking churchy <laughs> now I know nobody in Shenandoah Valley Church of the Valley would ever have a reason to talk churchy because look where you live I mean you have the best of everything you there's no reason to play games here but in Kansas (laughs) I played games I didn't want anybody to know what I had done so I covered it up I was I was kind of like Aaron when Moses came down the mountain and they made the golden cow probably you guys don't remember that but it's in Exodus 32 Moses says, what have you done, Aaron? And Aaron says, Moses, don't be mad. at you know how evil we are? That's the problem. We have evil hearts. Jeremiah seventeen 9, they're wicked. Nobody can comprehend how wicked our hearts are. That's the problem. We need heart transplants. Amen? Amen? And, and Aaron goes, well, Lord, I don't know what to do. All these sinners came at me and they threw their jewelry on me. I didn't know what to do with it. In fact, it about took me down, so I just threw it in the fire. And this cow came walking out, Moses. (laughs) I don't know what happened. He sinned. He had guilt. He had shame. He lied. It's the story of mankind. And if your heart's not pure today, if you have not been sanctified through and through by the blood of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know it. Because you know if you have. Amen? amen. I'm trying to preach a message where nobody will ever say, "Amen. I want to preach a message like Jesus, not where you want to buy the tape or the CD, not where you want to give me a high-five and say good word, but where everybody leaves by the time I'm done. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus was famous for messages like that. I mean, when He would preach that you' got to sell out, they would leave. When it's going to cost you everything, they would leave. When you got to eat me and partake of my divine nature, Second Peter 1, you got, they left. Can you imagine 50,000 people hearing the miracle worker preach with no sound system, but they all heard him clearly because the Word is clear? Can you imagine when he started saying, Now drink my blood. I can imagine Martha, I don't know who Martha is, it's a biblical name, saying, Honey, get the kids. He's bringing out the Kool Aid. We're not going to stay for this one. Can you imagine? 50,000 goes down to 12. Now that's a message. You see, Jesus never minced words. He always told them parables because he didn't want to waste the word. Because he doesn't want to give the word to anybody who's not going to radically obey it. He would explain the parables in private with the disciples, the followers. I just wonder today if he's given you ears to hear the word that I'm preaching. So I started taking repetitive trips to the altar. Forgive me so I can go sin again. Forgive me so that I can fail again. Because until you're willing to give your life for him the way he gave his life for you the only sure cure is death it costs you everything it's all or nothing so i did the church thing i started small groups i started bible studies i got on the board by giving lots of money i know nobody here could get on the board just because you gave lots of money but back there we could sang in singing groups. Here's the problem. God doesn't tell us to do holy. He tells us to be holy. And so the more you do, the more it becomes like a pile of doo-doo. <laughs> it's the truth. Paul says it's like filthy rags or it's like a pile of dung. It's, that's what he calls it. So, if you're doing it for your own selfish ambitions, if you're doing it trying to buy your faith, if you're doing it trying to secure your salvation by what you can do, it doesn't amount to nothing. It's all about what He's already done. He said it's finished, and it's not until you get to the place where you're willing to say, Okay, I'm finished too. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this sin nature? Who will do this to me? It's only when you come to terms that you are nothing but wretched that He can begin anyway. Amen? So I became so desperate, so I started, well, I went to college and I dropped out because I didn't like being poor because when the carnal nature is running rampant in your life, you can go to church and you can do churchy things and you can do holy and you still have pride and all these egos and this bitterness and this way you want to get even and this stuff just runs roughshod over your whole being. And you know what I'm talking about. This is, this is strange, but I have not been to a church yet where there hasn't been some kind of a split. And I know this church probably isn't old enough to split yet. But everywhere I go, they split. You know why? Because people have divided hearts, and they say things, and they get hurt, and they hold unforgiveness, and they hold bitterness, and they leave, and they leave, and we want to win the world and we can't even keep the church so I started businesses and when I was 25 I had about 300 employees and I thought I was somebody cuz I could give a lot of money to the church but I was miserable in fact in fact I was kind of suicidal because I felt nothing from God because I gave up hope that he could really change me and give me what my mom had A lot of people have unclean things in their lives like pornography i know the church is just filled with pornography and lust i i've seen that everywhere over half the church if they were honest today would say i have a problem with sexual immorality i have a problem with lust if they were honest that's why revival tarries because god can't do anything unless we're willing to be honest and vulnerable people are in fear some people are in greed some people are in unforgiveness some people are in bitterness some people are in pride everyone in this room has some master sin if you are still a sinner and has a master weakness if you are born again that causes you to fall into sin and only crucifixion is the cure for the main thing that keeps you out of the main thing my unclean thing was i did not want to give up self-control i always figured i get myself into something i'm the only one that can get myself out i can't trust anyone how could i trust god so i would come to the altar and i would give lip service but my heart really didn't believe that i could trust him with it all and so i carried that from the time i sinned when i was 17 For 17 years, I got to where I was 34, I built this business and I lost it and spent nine years paying back all that debt and I was suicidal and I had my death plan but I didn't have the guts to carry it out and I looked back working six days a week and I don't know why I did it except mom was praying. And I guarantee you, someone is praying for all of you or you wouldn't be sitting here today. I remember coming home from work in June of 1995, and my wife read me some other bad news, and I had some stress because not only did I lose my businesses and have to pay them back, but I owed the IRS 250 some 1000 dollars in back taxes, and you guys probably don't even, is the IRS even in Virginia? They're in Kansas. <laughs> are they here too? Yes, they are here. Thank God. You guys know what I'm talking about. I think God gave us the IRS so that we could practice our spiritual warfare. <laughs> the devil is a defeated foe. They're not defeated yet. But I paid back the IRS. I paid back those debts. I was depressed. I had not finished my education. I had not finished my basketball career. I had not been a good daddy because I just worked six days a week. I, I was not a good husband because I just worked six days a week, and all I cared about was what I wanted because I was bitter and I was hurt and I couldn't trust God to really do in me what His Word says He wanted to do in me. I couldn't trust Him. And I was there, my wife read some bad news, and I threw the phone down and it broke, and I sat down and I said, I can't go on anymore, and my wife says, well, why don't you just trust God? I don't like that because she's always right. We started dating at 14. We're 49. We have four beautiful children that are all married. I have six grandbabies. We've been together since we've been born, it seems like. And I've been right twice, and she's been right 10,000 times. <laughs> I don't know why God made it that way, but he did. And all the women are saying, hey, amen. That's just <laughs> part of our women you women and men are going I know what you but you're not saying it you're thinking it but you're not saying it you're just going yes brother yes we're not emotional we would be doing that with you (laughs) she's always right she said why don't you trust God well see I was raised in a country where we're American men and we put our boots on and we tie a knot on the end of the rope and we just hold on and we do it and we do it by sheer grit. And I know that's not what the Bible says. In our weakness, his strength's made perfect. And in our surrender, he's made Lord. In our death, we get life. And In our serving, we lead. In our being last, we go. But I don't think about the Bible because I was thinking about me. And I looked as I threw that phone down and I was crying and I just thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown and probably did, didn't know about it. I probably had ADD, I probably was bipolar, I probably had all that stuff because I think I was moving so fast that most of the time I was in the middle and I didn't know any difference. Just, just you do it enough times you just you're in the middle most of the time. And I went back to my room and I couldn't trust God. Now I'm 34 years old. I've been 17 years since I accepted Christ and This has not been what Christ died to give me I got life but it wasn't abundant I got life but I didn't have freedom I got life I didn't have power I got life but I knew there was a lot more but I couldn't trust him so on June 15th 1995 I got up in the morning and I said God today If there's any way you could change me i'm going to expect you to do it because if you can't change me from the inside out and give me peace that passes understanding if you can't fill me with your joy if you can't give me a hope that never ends if you can't change me like your book says you can change me if i become your instrument of righteousness and holiness if you can't do what your word says then i'd rather die and that's how serious my prayer was it was not an emotional prayer I think a lot of times people want to have teen camp emotional experiences, and they last about three days. God wants us to will to do His will. That doesn't feel good a lot of times when He's calling you to public confession, when He's calling you to the cross, when He's calling you to death. That doesn't feel good. But you will to do His will. Amen? So I left for work and it was about 5.30 and I went and did a basement finish up in Overland Park and I was driving to lady to start framing a house and it was about, I don't know, 6.30 or so and I was going westbound on 135th and I turned south on Flum and a 60,000 pound truck hit the side of my truck going about 60. And it jammed my truck about 250 yards and totaled three other vehicles and it took me you know your pelvis it took my pelvis and went like that and it broke my back It tore my liver in half it tore my urethra out of my bladder and I was thin then because that's when I was working and I spent 14 months in a hospital bed and I gained 150 pounds I lost my metabolism I eat a third now of what I used to eat And I'm twice as big so if you see that metabolism running around it's about this tall (laughs) just tell me I've been looking for it since 1995 but uh, I I had lived in fear for 17 years I'm talking about fear I wouldn't I didn't have courage to open a letter I didn't have courage to answer a phone call unless I knew who it was I lived in fear and that's the devil's biggest tool for the church. Because if you're not in faith, you're always going to be in fear, right? That's why Jesus' most prevalent statement all through the Gospels was fear not. Because he knew we were fearful people. Amen? I mean, you can, you can be asleep on a sinking ship if you're in faith. There's no fear. Amen? So, so I'm in this hospital. and They're going through all these tests. And they're taking me through CAT scans, MRIs. They won't give me anything for the pain. There's nothing they can give me until they do the test. During that day, I left my body a half a dozen times, and an angel kept me alive. So, I believe in angels. I don't worship them, but I believe in them. I believe Hebrews 1 14 says they're God's ministering servants sent to help people when they need them. And I'm glad there's two times more angels than there are demons. Amen? And so, this angel kept me alive. He just kept grabbing my shirt. Don't leave us yet, Danny. We're not done with you. And that's what he just kept saying it all day long. And I would go back in my body. And then I would be in pain, and I would leave my body, and I could see myself laying on the gurney, and I looked thin. I was thinner then. I could fit on the gurney. (laughs) They wouldn't give me anything. And finally, about 5.30, I'm in the ICU room at night, all day testing. They put a catheter in my stomach. In fact, I had a catheter in my stomach for 14 months. They had to do four surgeries to rebuild the inside of me because they said every time they did one, scar tissue comes back. And so it just took time. You talk about humbling I had the first part of Second Chronicles 7:14 fulfilled, 24 and 7. If my people who are called by the name will humble, I was humble. Catheter. <laughs> Stay serious, Dan. This is a serious service. <laughs> We're having revival. I got to that ICU room. They started the morphine drip, and I started feeling better. And my mind got a little clearer because the pain was going down. And my wife was there, and the nurses were there. And it was about 5:37 in the evening. And I looked over at my heart monitor and I saw it go flat, and I'm in the spirit world. And Jesus came to me. This was not the angel that kept me alive, it was Jesus. I did not see his face, but I sensed his presence. Because for the first time in my whole life, I had no fear. No fear. And I always thought, since I couldn't live up to his expectations, that he always had some club that he was going to hammer me with. Because I kept letting him down. Because to whom much is given, much is required. He expects us, if we've been given a lot, he expects a loss back. And I just couldn't trust him, and that's all he wants. It's for us to trust him with our all, that's all he wants. Because if we do that, he can give us a heart transplant, and give us a new spirit, and then we want to do whatever he wants, because then it's all about him and it's not about us and so i'm there in that icu i'm in the spirit and jesus is there and jesus asked me two things he said two things to me this is 5 37 p.m 1995 june 15th olathe medical center bed seven remember you don't really forget if you really ever fall in love with jesus if you've had this experience you know what i'm talking about i'm not talking about a car wreck I'm talking about a heart transplant where he takes your heart of stone out and gives you his heart to where you're one with him. Amen? Amen. He says, Danny, I've forgiven your sins. I'm thankful. It's a good thing to have your sins forgiven. Amen? Amen? Then he asked me this question. You see, the question that God always asks us is, He knows what we need. In fact, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, he says, When you ask me, I already know what you need before you even ask. The second thing he said was, When will you trust me with your life? Now, I've been to the altar a hundred times trying to trust him, but this time the altar came to me because I'm a slow learner. I'm bullheaded. I'm not like you people. I know. I can see it in your eyes. You guys are going to run, jump, and take the hill for Jesus. I know that. Not me. I'm stubborn. I'm a slow learner. And Jesus came to me. And he said, "When will you trust me with your life?" And you know what I did that night? Five thirty-seven p.m. Because this whole thing took less than a minute. It seemed like an eternity, but you see, God's outside of time. You know, my big prayer. Of, sanctification was my big prayer consecration it was one word yes (laughs) I just said yes now that's weird (laughs) God didn't want my business he didn't want my family he didn't want my kids he didn't want my fortune he didn't want my he just wanted me because if he gets this All that's his anyway. So when I said yes, I came to. My wife's crying. The nurses are running. I'm yelling as loud as I can on the morphine. It's okay. Jesus is here. (laughs) There was about 100 people there that wanted to see me in the ICU room. So they kept coming in six or seven times, six or seven at a time. And I kept telling them about Jesus coming and talking. He's in me. And my wife kept coming in after each one of those groups saying, honey, what's wrong? <laughs> she knew me. There was something definitely wrong. But it was what was right. Amen? Amen. And so they come in, I talk, they come in, I talk, I just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I didn't know Acts 1-8 really worked. When you receive the Holy Spirit's baptism, you get power. It's not about you, and it's not your power. It's his power, so you become a witness of him. You can't stop talking about it! So I got home from the hospital, had to sleep in a hospital bed for 14 months. Uh, Six weeks after my accident, my family got asked to sing a revival at our church in Olathe, a big church, about 3,000 at the time. And so I was going up to sing, and that Sunday I brought 200 first-time visitors with me to church in six weeks after the accident. Now I don't know if it was the anointing of Acts 1:8 or if it was their pity because I walked around with a catheter hanging on my belt. I don't know if it's a combination. I don't care. They were there. In fact, I wanted to start a ministry called Catheters for Christ. My wife, <laughs> <laughs> she's always right. She's always right. She's wise, and I'm thankful for her wisdom. <laughs> I didn't really. That's just something I put in. I'm. <laughs> was that a white lie I don't know I may have thought it Uh, many of those people got saved and many of those people got sanctified and baptized in the spirit and joined the church in the first six months I have a little stars and stripes three ring binder where I led 181 people to the Lord I didn't know how to do that I, 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 I don't I still don't know how to do that but when it's not you and it's him he knows how to do it Amen. 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 I started this prison ministry and I, I in the first two years had over 8,000 converts we had all these cards filled out and they were in 100 different institutions and we started Bible study my, my brother and my dad are still on the board of that ministry So I learned how to preach in prison. That's why, that's why I don't have three points. I mean, I'd go into prisons and about an hour and a half into my sermon, all these brothers would just start yelling, preach on, brother, preach on, brother. And I thought I was some great orator. I thought I was a great preacher. They didn't wanna go back to their cells. <laughs> So I learned how to preach with a captive audience. So I'm glad there's a glare on the clock because to me it's about 10.50 right now. Don't look back. (laughs) Oh my Lord. I didn't know what God did to me. That's a strange thing. I didn't know what happened at 5.37 p.m. June 15, 1995, Bed 7, Latham Medical Center, ICU ward. I didn't know what he did to me. I just knew I was different. I kept asking my dad, Dad, did I get born again again? <laughs> did I get forgiven all over again? But it wasn't that, because I'd been forgiven hundreds of times. This was different. I asked everybody, and nobody could explain to me what happened. Finally, in 1997, two years later, I was having my prayer time, and I was reading, praying. I said, God, i sure like you tell me what you did. And he said, well, son... That's when I gave you your pure heart. Oh, boy. Bing, revelation. I said, well, God, everybody needs this. He says, no kidding. (laughs) That's why I died. That's what he said. Then he said, will you be obedient? I said, yeah. No, will you be obedient? Yes, I'll be obedient. You know I'll be obedient, God. God. I want to use you to wake up the church. I laughed. How can you use me? I'm a carpenter. He said, I know. I was too. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Three days later, I got a call from our Nazarene headquarters. They wanted me to speak at the Nazarene Retired Function. There were about 400 retired gray-haired people. And the people that called me, I won't mention their names, but they're both high up. Said preach short because they're tired. <laughs> and so I didn't know what they meant by that, because I have three points start, middle, and finish. <laughs> and so I preached and about four hundred of them came to the altar and they didn't get done praying until about eleven thirty that night, and the only two tired people were the headquarters people. now this is what happened church this is what happened within one year after me knowing that God had sanctified me and purified me and given me a new heart within one year all four teenagers had the same experience my teenagers it gets better my wife had the experience she was at our lake house and she felt hungry because she knew what I had because now I had a way to talk about what I had And she started praying for this pure heart. And she ended up on the carpet, kissing the carpet, and she called me sobbing on the phone saying, I had no idea Jesus could love me like this. Then it happened to my brother Doug, who's seven and a half years older than me, and we used to be in competition. Now we're like this, and he called me this morning with tears, said, I've already covered you, little brother. Then it happened to his wife. You say, how do you know all this? Well, I was there, they, they came to the altar of my revival. Then it happened to his four children. Then it happened to my two younger sisters and their husbands. Then it happened to two uncles. Then it happened to 18 cousins. I didn't know. All I had to do was say yes for him to get the whole family tree. You, you, you see, church, this isn't some little simple yes he wants. He wants it to be a, a, it is finished, yes. I don't take it back, yes. I do trust you with everything forever, yes. That's what he wants. I started this men's Bible study, and we had about 150 men from 20 denominations coming to the men's Bible study, and we built a glory barn on my farm, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just talking about the things I'd seen and experienced. Has this experience happened to you? If you'll, if, can I finish my sermon or do you need to go now? Can I preach on? What does the Bible say about this experience? Don't listen to Dan Bohai's words. What does the word say about what I'm talking about? Well, number one, it's God's choice for every believer. In Ephesians 1 4, He chose us before the foundation of the earth that we should be holy and blameless in His sight. Number two, it's God's will. In 1 Thessalonians 4 3, it's God's will that all of you, my children, should be sanctified holy so you can avoid sexual immorality. That's His will. The reason why the church is sexually immoral is because they haven't been sanctified holy they haven't had their hearts cleansed and purified and filled with the glory of god amen, amen. now why is this will a serious issue matthew seven twenty one. not everyone who says to me lord lord enters the kingdom of heaven only those who do the will of my father well many will come to me and say well we preached in your name we cast out demons we did miracles and you'll say i'm sorry Away from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. Because the only one that he knows are the ones who do his will. In fact, in Matthew 12 50, who are his mother and brothers and sisters? The ones who do his will. In John 9 31, he doesn't even listen to sinners unless it's a repentance prayer when they pray. He only listens to godly people who do his will. So see, this will about him wanting to sanctify all of his children is a serious issue. Because in John 7, 17, unless you will to do his will, he'll never make all this known to you. You'll just think it's some idea that men have. Amen? Amen. Number three, it's God's command. 1 Peter 1, 15, just as he who calls you is holy, so you be holy in all that you do, for it is written, Be holy, for I'm holy. It's a command, John 14, 15 says, the only way that you can prove your love for God is to obey his... If you love me, you'll obey my commands. John 14, 23, if you obey my commands, me and the Father will make our house inside of you. Church, are you listening to this? In 1 John 2, 3, this is how I'll even know if any of you are really followers and you're not just doing lip service. If you obey my commands... 1 John 5, 3, this is love for God, that you would obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. It's God's choice that you be holy. It's God's will that you be sanctified. It's God's command that you be holy. Number four, your very inheritance is based on this. Acts twenty thirty two, Paul says a prayer. I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which builds you all up and gives you an inheritance among those who are sanctified." The inheritance isn't among those who are just forgiven. Six times in the New Testament you have to become a son before you can become an heir. Four times in the New Testament you have to be forgiven before you can get an inheritance. How do you get your inheritance? By filling in the bottom of his last will and testament that he filled in when he died on the cross for us so that we could be holy as he's holy and now he says now will you bring me your life and give me the good stuff i've taken care of the sin but i need the good stuff now so that we can finish your inheritance papers number five jesus died for you so you could have this experience hebrews 13 12 he went outside the city gate and he suffered and he shed his blood sanctify his people the niv says to make his people holy it did not cost him his life so we could keep on being forgiven because forgiveness is a covering of symptoms sanctification is the solution for the symptom it cost him his life to solve the problem once and for all. Amen? Amen. Number 6, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to you when it happens. Hebrews 10:14, he has forever by one sacrifice perfected those he has made holy. And the same spirit that bears witness to you when you're born again will bear witness to you when your heart's been made pure. Now, if the Holy Spirit thinks enough of it to make it known, it's a big deal. Amen. You say, well, how does he make it known? I'm not talking about you getting a gift of another language. That could happen to you, but Jesus didn't stress that, so I'm not into that. If it happens to you, great. I don't care. I don't care about you getting some language and then going and living like the devil. What I care about is you get a new heart and your character changes into the character of Christ and you live like God. Amen? Amen. 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 Number seven. Hebrews 2.11 says both the God who makes people holy and the ones who have allowed him to make them holy are of the same family. And Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers or sisters. It says in Luke 12 and also says in Matthew that if you're ashamed of him in this wicked generation he'll be ashamed of you. It says in 2 Corinthians 6 that we're supposed to come out from among our peers at church and touch no unclean thing. We're supposed to perfect everything in our spirit, soul, and body that contaminates us, and we're supposed to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. This is Paul quoting Isaiah 52. You can't do it in secret. You don't baptize your baby in the closet. You don't get married in the closet. You can't give your life as a living sacrifice in the closet. It doesn't work. You can't be ashamed or he'll be ashamed. So this morning when I open the altar, and you know you don't have what I'm talking about and what the Bible says is possible, you can do one of two things. You can leave worse off than you came because you know better now. Or you can leave free. Never to be the same. Number eight, I don't think you can truly see God clearly until you get a pure heart. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see the Lord. I don't think there's a pornography problem in the church. I think there's a vision problem. I don't think anybody sets in a congregation with their blackberry looking at porn because they think God's here. And I think if our hearts were made pure, we had a vision of Christ and what he went through so we could be free I think any time the temptation came to turn on the computer or watch the movie, or to do the things that men do in secret, that the fear and the presence and the awareness of God would be greater than any temptation. I think you can avoid the fire of hell by looking down and dodging the flames. I think the only way you can avoid the fire of hell is by leaping into his flame. I think He has power so that we can say no to ungodliness. And yes to holiness. And it's not our power. It's His. Amen. Hebrews twelve fourteen says the same thing. Live in peace with all men and seek holiness. Without holiness no one sees the Lord. No one. That word holiness there is sanctification or cleansing or purification of the believer's heart. The next verse says make sure that no bitter root grows up because that destroys the holiness of God in the believer's heart now James 14 says if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it you become a sinner 2 Timothy 3 5 says if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it now all you do is have a form of godliness but there's no power number 9 who can ascend the hill of God Who can stand in his presence? That's Psalms 24, 3 and 4. Those who have clean hands, they've been forgiven. And pure hearts, they've been sanctified. They don't lift up their souls to idols. And they don't swear by anything that's false. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. If you're a sinner... Get forgiven and get your hands washed. If you're double-minded and you want to follow God, but there's an inner battle, get your heart purified. James 4.8. Revelation 21.27, Nothing impure or unclean can enter heaven's gates. Carnal natures, carnal mind, body of sin, that's impure. The only cure is your death to God so he can resurrect you in his image. Amen? Amen? Number 10, you can have it right now. Now, uh, 2 Corinthians six two, Today is the day of salvation. Ephesians 2.13, God has chosen all of us for salvation through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Our part is just to believe the truth. Trust. 1 John 3.3, since we have this hope, we should purify ourselves just as Jesus is pure. 1 John 4.17, we can stand before him on the great day of judgment, unashamed, because if we let him, he can make us just like he is in this lifetime. Now here's the kicker. Revelation 22 says, Behold, I am come, and my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done while in the body. So if you're wrong, just stay wrong. And if you're evil, stay evil. If you're right, stay right. And if you're holy, stay holy. When he comes. Be a sinner. Be demon possessed. Be a believer. Be Holy Spirit possessed. I think it's a no brainer. If he died to give us this pure heart. To give us the power of the kingdom. So that we can walk as Jesus walked. Why would anybody say no I don't want to do that what would happen I know what happened when 120 people got it the odds were one against 400,000 in the Roman Empire what would happen if this group all of you got the same heart today and the same spirit and you got in one accord could anything stop you? you say how do you get this Dan well you got to cut ties with sin psalm sixty-six, eighteen. 18 you can't cherry sin in your heart he won't listen to you isaiah 59 1 he's not deaf and he don't have short arms but our sins separate him so you got to cut ties with sins number two you got to ask him for the fullness of the spirit luke eleven, thirteen. 13 he wants to give you the holy spirit more than you want it but you got to ask him and no one can say jesus is lord except by the power of the spirit and so you can't play games at this point you can't say, I want you to fill me, and at the same time say, but I'm going to hold on to these secrets. It doesn't work. Number three, you've got to be obedient. You may have to make a call today, and you may have to make some restitution. You may have to write a letter. You may have to say you're sorry. You may have to forgive. Acts 5.32 says, He only gives the Holy Spirit to those who are obedient. Number four, got to have faith. Acts 26, 18, you're only sanctified by faith. It's not by works. It's just by faith. And number five, the only way it's really going to happen for most of you is because you've been given so much, you're going to have to hold on a little longer and keep your faith in perseverance. You only get the promise by faith and perseverance, Hebrews 6, 12. You may have to say yes, but God may bring some other things to your mind. You may have to keep saying yes so here's the question church I don't do altar calls I don't do just as I am so everybody has to have motion I don't do pass me not I don't do don't do I just you've heard the truth and if you don't have this purity and this holiness that cost our Savior everything to give you it's because you haven't been willing to give him everything The call is simple. If you're a sinner and you need to be saved, you need to come forth forth and receive Christ as your Savior. But if you're saved and you have a Savior, but He's not truly Lord, you don't have a pure heart, the witness of the Spirit's not there, you've got things that keep you in defeat, you're struggling, you're just... and you want to be done struggling, you want to say it's finished? You want God to purify you through and through? and you come and give him your life as a living sacrifice and say, God, I'm all in. I'm taking my hands off. I'm a yes man. I'm a yes woman. There's no turning back. It's over. You say, well, that sounds simple. Yeah, it does. So simple that Jesus said after you get born again, you just need to start becoming like a little child. So here it is. You've heard the word. If you need to be forgiven of your sins... I want you to stand up and walk forward. If you need to be sanctified and filled to overflowing where you're never the same, I want you to stand up and walk forward. I just want you to come right now. The altar's open. If you need this, I want you to come right now. There's no room to kneel. You can stand. You can kneel at the steps around the platform. If you're sitting in your seat, you're saying, "Well, I've got all that you're talking about." In fact, you people that are in your seats, if you know, if you know what I'm talking about is real in your life right now—not something in the past, but today. Can you just raise your hand and say, "Yep, I got it, brother Bohai. I know I'm in. I'm full. I'm over full." Praise the Lord. Sixty-five percent of you. Praise the Lord. The other thirty-five why don't you just try God today why don't you try to trust him by getting out of your seat and saying I want all that God has for me if you couldn't raise your hand please please come forward don't hesitate thank you thank you Lord for your presence I wish a piano player would play something softly if there's a piano player you just play something softly if you couldn't raise your hand just come forward and say God I want a pure heart I want to give up I want to give up control I want you to be Lord Lord, here's your people. We're your people. Everybody bow your heads. Lord, there's some here that need to be forgiven of their sins. I pray, Lord, you give them the courage to say, God, I'm not only going to confess, but I'm going to repent and turn. I'm done. I don't want to break your heart. I want to walk with you. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need you to give me new life. Come into my life and forgive me, God lord let them pray that from their heart god let them pray that from their heart So now lord there's some of your children here that know you they know you you with them but you long to be in them you long to consume them you long to fill them you long to cleanse and purify and empower them lord so they're possessed by you lord all of your sons and daughters here that are giving you their best gift the gift of themselves I pray, Lord, that all of the failures, all of the shame, all of the fear, all of the doubt, all of the worry will be let down, willfully let go of that today. And Lord, they'll just say, yes. Yes, you have your way with me, God. Take out everything that's not like you, God. I give you permission. Yes, I give you permission. Lord, I know it took me 34 years to get to a one-word prayer. There's some people here older than 34. You've been dealing with all of your children. You have one voice. You have one body. You're one spirit. We're one family. I pray that everyone here would have the courage to say it from the bottom of their heart. Yes, whatever it means, yes, I'm in. I trust you, God. I don't understand it all, God, but I trust you. Lord, there's some families that hang in the balance. There's some children. There's grandchildren. There's employees. There's friends. There's neighbors. And they don't see Jesus because we haven't said yes. Lord, I pray that everyone here kneeling and standing at the front of this auditorium right now. this would be from the depths of their spirit man lord this would be from the depths of who they are and they would say god i am giving up all rights to control i can't deal with the failures i can't deal with the past i can't change who i am i am asking you god to take out my heart of stone and to give me your heart jesus and to fill me with your glory and your spirit and your power And give me your motives, give me your desires. Change my will to your will, Father. Lord, hear your children's prayers, I pray. Lord, you want to give us this gift more than we want to give gifts to our children. You you want to give us the Spirit's fullness, Lord. The the baptism of your Holy Spirit, Lord, which changes the world, God. You, You want to give that to us now, so can we receive it by faith, God many would say, well, I've tried this, and I've tried, and it doesn't seem like much has happened. Well, Lord, I pray you give them courage today not to try, but just to give up and trust. They don't attain this, God. They obtain it by faith. It's not works, it's you. It's the blood. (laughs) You sprinkle us with your blood, and you make us clean, and you make us pure. Lord, let them receive it by faith now. Our, our, we're, we're hanging in the balance, God. Joel three fourteen, multitudes in the valley of decision. Lord, this valley of the shadow of death is where we're getting ready to go to the cross, and it seems like it's too hard. It seems like it's impossible. But, Lord, it's just a figment of our imagination. It's not too hard because you went to the cross, Jesus, to make it a way for us to go to the cross. It's just a shadow, God. The reality is the joy before you compelled you to the cross. Lord, let it be our joy to die for you today. Let it be our joy to give up our lives to you today, Lord. We want you to have all. We want you to have it all, God. All. All to Jesus. I surrender thank you jesus thank you for your spirit thank you for your anointing <laughs> thank you for your forgiveness thank you for your cleansing lord there are some people standing here right now that are hurt they hurt the most so they hurt physically lord you're a healer let your healing power settle in on us right now god just let it come in on us like a blanket Oh, I sense that God. I sense your healing power. Make us whole, Father, fill our hearts with overflowing so we can't stop talking about what we've seen and experienced. I think everybody ought to take the hand of the person next to him. You ought to hold hands. We're one here. We're not separate. we're one. You ought to just take a hand of somebody. I think everybody in the congregation ought to stand up and grab somebody's hand. I think we all need to hold hands, just stand up.